New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Emeritus Professor Gary Hawke, who spent a career in the School of Government at Victoria University of Wellington. Gary is a, an economic historian who developed during his career an interest in education, which is what I would like to talk to him about today. Now, Gary, could you explain how you got involved in education from economic history? Well, initially, of course, I was simply a teacher. And that was a, I always thought of myself primarily as a researcher, but I was employed to teach, and so naturally education was an interest. But then in the 1980s, Geoffrey Palmer asked me to chair a Cabinet Social Equity Committee report on post-compulsory education. This goes all the way back to the PICO report in education, the administration of education as a, as, as a general phenomenon. And, and from there, I, I simply got continually involved in a number of activities. I, I actually was say, in the Institute of Policy Studies for several years before the School of Government was formed, and it was in the School of, in the Institute of Policy Studies that I was involved in organising some research work in education with educationists, and and from there people kept asking me to do things. Uh, first of all, the Education Review Office I think was the first when Judith Aitken was the chief executive of Euro. I had, of course, been involved in the establishment of Euro in that it followed directly out of the report on post-compulsory education, which I, I chaired. And from then, people asked me to do other things, uh, both the ministry, where I was involved in some work on uh, workforce uh, recruiting and management, and, of course, then the one which became the biggest one, NZQA. Yes. Which um, was involved in the scholarships exam pr- predominantly. And that, that, of course, was where we first encountered one another in the, the technical work that took place after a little bit of a crisis in about 2005 with some variability in the, in the assessment results. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, what I'd really like to talk to you about today is the teaching profession. You've done me the kindness, Gary, of reading some of my work and quite often you send me comments saying, well, yes, but what about the teaching profession? So let's unpack that a little bit. I, I, I myself have come to view that in term, at the level of school education as being the pressure point we really need to address. I think there are various problems in the education system, but I also think that if we had a teacher force that was really well equipped with modern understanding of, of how human learning works and the the ability to apply that in the classroom, then a lot of the other problems would be less serious. But tell me your take on, on the teaching profession, where it's at, and perhaps you know then we can start to talk about how we might improve things. Yes, well, that's, that, that is a major, major issue. And it is something which I've been in, involved with on the periphery for a long time. One of the issues which that Cabinet Social Equity Committee uh, had to deal with uh, was to think about the future of teacher training. And we were, I think, partly responsible for the amalgamation of the teachers' colleges with the universities. The 
issue at that stage wasn't one of the profession at all. Uh, the issue at that stage was one purely about the management of the institutions. And there were arguments for leaving them to make their own decision, which was what I thought was, was the best solution. There were people who wanted to amalgamate the teachers' colleges with the polytechnics, and there were people who wanted to amalgamate them with the universities. And at that stage, we were, now I realise, somewhat idealistically, thinking that uh, people would get the management skills they needed to do the jobs they were asked to, to do. And we were letting schools be much more independent in, in what they were doing, and it seemed rather odd that if we expected schools to manage themselves, we didn't expect the teacher colleges to make their own decisions. And so we did actually recommend that the teacher colleges be left to decide whether they wish to try to continue as independent institutions, join with a polytechnic or join with a university. I think I did, even at that stage, suspect that they would mostly join universities and that this was not for good reasons, but because uh, that was thought to be the more distinguished home for teacher colleges. So they were looking for more status. They were looking for more status, yes. The other part of the exercise, which I always thought of as the same involved, an integrated part of the exercise, was that you would establish appropriate standards for the teacher teacher workforce. Uh, Workforce was the phrase most often used, profession was sometimes used, that the teacher should be able to organise themselves as accountants do, as lawyers do, as engineers do, and that the, the, the principal way of dealing with this was to have a clear articulation of what you expected from teachers, not just the initial stages, but the continuing learning, which any profession needs to needs to do. Yeah. And the idea was that what was then the Education Council, if I remember correctly, would establish the standards and, and would monitor them. So this is what's morphed over time into the Teaching Council? That, that became the Teachers Council. I, I don't know why. Right. Well, we'll definitely come back to the, the Teaching Council and how that might be reformed to improve the, the profession. I'd like to explore a little more that amalgamation because I've been thinking a lot about the effect that that had. But is what you're saying that actually the, the teachers' colleges had an option to either amalgamate or not, or, or was it in the end a, a forced move? I think they had an option, but I'm not sure about that. Right. I wasn't involved in the follow-up However process. it was, they all ended up, pretty much all ended up amalgamating with the universities. Yes. And yes. of course, I think Massey and Waikato already had teacher education at that time, but most of the universities had schools or faculties of education that were what you might call educational studies schools, meaning that they didn't do teacher training but had mostly sociologists, I think, looking at the social effects of education and, and the considering the sociological factors in education. I think, I think that's right. I think the schools of education, they weren't schools then, they were still departments of, of, oh, yes. of education, or sometimes departments of educational studies. They tended to be divided into, into two. Those who were thinking 
what, what I think you mean by the sociology approach. Social sciences approach is how they would have put it. And they did have people with a more varied background among the disciplines, but mostly in the social science disciplines. And then there, there was educational psychology in most of those departments of, of education. Yes. And, and they were, to my eye at least, and I was the dean of the arts faculty at that stage, they, they were indistinguishable from the department of psychology. Right. Well, one of, one of the puzzles that I've been trying to solve, and, and perhaps you can help me here with your knowledge of the history, is why it is that subsequent to the amalgamations, teacher education didn't benefit more from the presence of those educational psychologists. Because when I now look at both teacher education programs and much of the material produced by agencies like the ministry, I see a very heavy sociocultural influence, but not much on, on the, the psychology side. And, and I've I'm coming to the conclusion that that's a real problem for our, for our teachers not to be equipped with that fundamental understanding of, of how human beings learn, what, what is perhaps universal to human learning rather than culturally specific, which seems to be the dominant way of talking about it. Hmm. I don't know the, the evolution of the departments of education and I have no way of telling whether your, your observation is right or not. Certainly, I don't know any evidence that mm. is to the contrary, but I, I just don't know what happened. The Department of Education at the university where I was was more or less equally divided between the, the, those who saw themselves as taking a, a psychological approach, or at least a statistical approach, and those who were, well, to some extent, the ones that I can think of, I used to think of as primarily historians, uh, but that's partly because you know, I was a historian of a kind myself, so that they were the ones that I, I knew best. But, there, there, for example, there were two chairs in the Department of Education when I was the dean, and one of them was always a psychologist and one of them was not. Yes. Um, and I think the chairs were actually designated as such. So this would be in the 1990s, would it? Uh, well, I was the Dean of Arts in the 1980s, but that right. remained true while I was uh, sort of active in, in faculty affairs, which was until the early 1990s. Right. Well, I mean, if we fast forward 20 years or so, I, I started in the then Faculty of Education, and this was a few years subsequent to the amalgamation, and there were still educational psychologists, but mm. they were solely involved with training educational psychologists and very little involvement with teacher education. Yes, I wasn't uh, really keeping in touch with the education faculties at that stage, so I just don't know yeah. how that developed. And it was always, again, I, I can really only speak about Victoria, there was always something of a division between the psychology approach and the non-psychology approach relations between the two parts of the fa of the department in my day were, were not always amicable. Sli slightly fractious and, and in fact it observed similar things much later so it does seem to be a, something of an ideological division. Yes. 
But let, let, let's move on because perhaps we, we can't resolve that one with the, the knowledge that we have and, and I'll continue thinking on along those lines. But yes, it would be interesting to look at, at the history of the other departments. Yes. I mean, I had a little familiarity with Auckland and that did seem to have the same division mm. uh, with, between it. I, I just don't know elsewhere. Yeah. So let's talk about the way in which teachers are prepared for the, the profession. So as a result of the amalgamations, of course, the, the universities started to develop degree structures higher on the New Zealand qualifications framework than had been the case previously. And in the second decade of the 21st century, many of them started to have master's levels, level qualifications. And there was a general expectation that students who wanted to be teachers would do a bachelor's degree and then either a diploma or a, a master's level qualification. There were some bachelor's level degrees that remained, but they became a little bit of a rump, I think. What's your view of that kind of academic approach to teacher education? Do you, do you think that that is necessary or a desirable thing or, or should we see teacher teaching more as a a craft that doesn't necessarily need that level of, of academic approach? I'm not sure that I'm the right person to ask that, that question. I was persuaded that teaching should be seen as a profession and that means that it should be seen as an activity where people do actually manage their lifetime learning themselves and that points towards it being a, a, a graduate activity. I do recall that on the the, the cross-sector forum, which Hekia Parata ran when she was the Minister of Education, there was quite a lot of debate. That, that was a group that brought together uh, representatives from all parts of the education uh, sector, including teachers. In fact, it was probably dominated by people who were teaching in schools but it, but it brought uh, a lot of other people together with with them, and there was there a a, th a thrust towards a graduate profession. There was also a, a a concern that perhaps we ought to be thinking rather more along the, the same lines as the legal profession, that you would expect m most of the entrants to the profession to be graduates but that there would be certain things that they still needed to do separately, which were not best taught in a university environment. And I can remember quite clearly on one occasion suggesting that the appropriate place for thinking of establishing a graduate requirement was act actually at the confirmation rather than at the initial registration as a teacher, that you ought to provide for an opportunity for continued learning while people were teaching in schools or else at other institutions mm. and get the, 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 the dual qualification in the same way as we have law professional alongside, long, alongside the legal degree. I really was a little disappointed that that, that was not, not pursued. I, I thought that the emphasis which we were trying to put in the 1990s on lifetime education ought to have been applied very much to, to the teaching profession as a, whole, as a whole. I thought the problem in, in those days, from a non-expert point of view, somebody sitting 
reasonably familiar with the debates going on, but not not equipped to, to take part in the debates within the profession. I thought the problem was often a matter of actually learning the craft of teaching while the emphasis for most of the individuals involved was on teaching the, the, the content of the subjects which they were to be expected to teach. Uh, there was relatively little attention paid to the process of teaching yes. and much more to the content of what it was that people were, the students were expected to learn. Mm. That that may be different between primary and secondary Indeed. training to an extent because, of course, generally when people come into education to be a secondary teacher, it's assumed that they will have a degree or, in fact, required that they'll have a degree in at least some of the subjects that they're, they're going to end up teaching. That, that's right. And I, I realised that when we were talking before, we weren't distinguishing enough between the primary yeah. and and the and the secondary, and and that throughout my lifetime, secondary teachers have been expected to be graduates for the most part. Yes, um, yeah. So that's a, a very important consideration, and of course, all of the teaching programs have a large practical component, where the teachers in training go into schools and spend a lot of time in, in front of classrooms. Uh, a few weeks ago, I visited the New Zealand Graduate School of Education in Christchurch, which is one of very few non-university providers in the country. And they have a somewhat different model of that practicum side of things. So rather than having an associate teacher within the school who mentors and oversees the, the teacher in training, they have their own staff go in and do that. And I can see a couple of advantages to that from my perspective. One is that there's a much tighter relationship between the coursework that they're doing and the feedback that they're getting. So there's no, there's never any conflict there, which perhaps there can sometimes be if an associate teacher has a different view of things than the, the people who are running the courses. But the other thing that I really liked about their model was the assessment so they have a list of about 60 criteria which they need to observe a teacher in training displaying but both consistently and fluently before they will sign off on, on the criteria. And when they've fulfilled all of them, they can graduate. And it seems to me that that's a pretty good model because it, it ensures a, a really clear focus on practice. Yes, that, that sounds to me very much more like what we expected in the 1980s would emerge with what at that stage was the Education Council being the, the, the body which did the assessment at various stages at the end of in initial teacher education and then in, in continued to do as part of the registration process. That never really got established. Mm. So... Why is that, do you think? Well, I, I mean, really, this brings me to the next point or the next point of discussion. What do we need to do now? If you, if you were, uh, you probably don't want to be appointed to any more <laughs> government <laughs> advisory groups, but no, say, no. say somebody uh, appointed you as Minister of Education for, for, for a little while, what, what would you do to reform the way in which perhaps the Teaching Council works in order to professionalise teachers more? 
Well, as somebody who came out of the School of Government, I wouldn't see the Ministry of Education as responsible for management. I think uh, one of our problems is, is that we don't distinguish enough between what, what we should expect from ministers and, and therefore from departments and what we should expect from the profession and, and people organising themselves. Mm. And, and it is the organising themselves which ought to be the key to, to, to being a profession rather than simply a number of employees. The, the issue with teaching as a profession, I think, is simply that there is, it, it is still an employed profession. Now, you, you can have professionals in employment, but the reason that lawyers and accountants and engineers have, have a distinctive thing is that they, they can be unemployed or, or not employed, employ themselves. Yes. And it, that, 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 I think, is the reason for the difference between teaching and other things. How might we compare that with me- the medical profession, do you think? Because often doctors and certainly nurses are employed in the same sorts of ways as, as teachers, mm-hmm. and yet they don't seem to necessarily suffer from the, the same challenges of professionalisation. Curiously, the, the specialists in medicine are employed. The GPs are not. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that the GPs have managed to preserve their independence, which means that the medical profession really, can, really survives as a profession independent of its employer. It's yeah. the ability to carry on your job without being employed by the government especially. So what yeah. is it about teaching that seems to present such, such obstacles in, in that regard? The monopoly, government monopoly of the... Of, of the provision of education services. Mm. One, one has to work on teaching as a unique unique thing rather than simply as a profession like any other other profession. And that means even, it's even more difficult for, for teachers to exert their in, independence. But I think it, it may be difficult, but, but it could be a great deal more than is done at the moment. So the response to any issue in education that you get from the teachers at the moment is we need more resources, not we need to do something different with the resources we have available. Right. So in terms of policy, what would be some initiatives that could be taken to move things in that direction? I think the starting point would be a much stronger and determined statement, identification of the criteria which we are looking for from, from teachers and, and a determined use of the them throughout the teaching teaching career. So does that mean a, a, a more robust professional body? That's that's certainly where I would, would start. So it would be reform of the teaching council and the and the criteria well, for registering teachers? I I don't know enough to know how to do it. So I would, instead of starting with reform of the education council, I would start with a review of the education council right. simply to, to follow through the standard processes of policy which I was involved in teaching in my last years, identification of the problem, identification of options and reasons for choice among those those options. Yeah. I don't think we know enough at the moment to, to, to jump that process. I understand what you mean. I mean, one of the things that is curious to me is a, a kind of almost closed loop between the initial teacher qualifications and the criteria for registering teachers. So, so the way it works is that the ITE providers, who are usually universities, present programs to the teaching council and they get accredited. And having been accredited, 
it is assumed that graduates of those programs meet the teacher registration criteria rather than specifically checking whether they meet those criteria. And, and that seems to me one thing. And actually, it would be hard to tell uh, if you were to try to measure them because the criteria themselves are rather vague. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, I, I, I just don't know enough about that. But what you say is, is exactly how I would expect it to, 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 be, to be approached. Yeah. Now, you've said that perhaps in order to professionalise teachers should be more independent of employment as such. So at the moment, unless you're teaching at a private school, your employer is the government. And does that mean that we need to liberalise the ownership of schools and, and have a much greater diversity of, of schools so that there are there is less of a government monopoly on the provision of, of, of school education? I don't think you, you're going to achieve a diversification of ownership to a sufficient extent. So you, you actually have to reconcile the organisation of a profession within a nearly monopoly of, of government employment. I think you have to work to assume that the, the, the public school system is going to survive. Yes. I would certainly have, have been quite keen on the development of alternatives, but... Uh, within constraints, but I wouldn't expect that to to lead to a substantial fraction mm. of, of the schools being other than government owned. So you do have to have to have to think of teaching profession as somewhat unusual relative to other professions, and think of how you reconcile those two two aspects. That is the great it. puzzle, isn't it? Because yeah. it, uh, while the government has a, a virtual monopoly on the provision of school education teachers will be government employees and subject to all of the pressures and, and constraints that come with that. Yes, although the pressures and constraints of public employment have, have not proven to be difficult uh, in recent years. You, you make me wonder whether I've thought it sufficiently about it, but I had thought that we should really be thinking of the difference between the profession and the wage negotiation aspect of, of teaching, which will always be of, of some significance, obviously, but it should not be the, the, the principal role of the, of, of the teaching profession itself. As I think I said to you, um, I was actually taught by and then became a friend of Bruce Webster at the time when he was the Secretary, General Secretary of the PPTA. And I, I, I thought at the time that Bruce's, whose political instincts were conservative, but who decided that the only way in which he could get an increase in teacher remuneration was by adopting union tactics, which he did pretty successfully right. at the time. I thought that, you know, in a sense, we, we have suffered from that in, in subsequent years, in that uh, I see little activity by teacher organisations which is distinct from employment activity. Right. Uh, what we should be looking for is a broadening of that that approach and a much greater emphasis on the on the teaching profession. And that doesn't mean the content of subjects; it means the teaching profession and the process of teaching. So somehow we need to promote teachers coming together as a profession and 
not he, not talking about salaries. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they'll always talk about salaries to an extent, but yeah, we, we'd like them to talk about Other their professional standards and to set to have a body that teachers have meaningful input into themselves and ownership of in order to establish standards that are expected of the teaching profession. That's exactly the, the point. And I may say that in the early days of the Education Council, when it was directed by Graham Stupe, if I remember rightly, there, there were signs that that was happening. Mm. That, that was the, the, the approach which the Education Council was taking. But it seems to have died away. Yes, and it's a puzzle as to why that is. There, there's certainly a, a, what I think of as a bit of a Gordian knot of problems that it's hard to know where to unpick. But it, it seems to me, on the basis of this conversation, that a review of the Teaching Council would be a good place to start. Who should conduct that review? That's an interesting question because, in a sense, it ought to be the profession. So somehow you 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 have to organise it in a way which you know there is a real conundrum. It, it seems um, like a, a a bootstrapping problem. It, it is. It is indeed. What you usually do when you've got that sort of problem is you look overseas for an independent authority, which is accepted by all parties. So, so we might look at some experts from countries with, or some teachers from countries with highly successful teaching professions. Yes, mm. yes, and remembering that it is a process of inquiry and construction we're talking about. So you're not trying to import what is done in any other context. So. Right. Yes, it, it needs to take account of local uh, constraints and and conditions, mm. and and not assume that New Zealand is like Finland or that's, Singapore. That, that's, that's exactly what I was meaning. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, Gary, thank you very much for coming on the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I always enjoy conversations with you, and as these conversations always do, it's moved my thinking on. So thanks again for joining us today. It's been interesting, and you've really made me think. think that all I can say is that I've always been an advocate of learning by doing, and all of my experience in education has been as a result of doing things. Yes. Um, so it, it ought to be balanced by a much more theoretical approach as, as, as well. Thank you very much. 